Dory 1, this is Fireteam Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Today in the podcast, we have Kirby Ingalls. He joined the United States Army way back in 1996 and is still on active duty today, serving well over 20 years. He has a father to three boys and a girl and currently lives with his wife in Springfield, Missouri. He is also the area director for his local Toastmasters Club and works with CASA, court-appointed special advocate for children. Kirby, welcome to the show. Thank you. Describe any of the gaps in that intro and a little bit more of what your family looks like right now. Well, my family is a blended family. Uh, I'm a, when I was in the military, I ended up getting divorced and remarried. And so my son lives with his mother in Illinois and uh since then i remarried and we have two boys with my wife and uh, a daughter we have a couple of dogs and a couple of cats and we live down here in south central missouri near fort Leonardwood. nice so the term coming home to you has probably meant a lot of things through over your over 20 year service what does it mean to you now that, that's a that's an interesting question because when i when i first read you know, what, what that, you know, what death coming home means to me. Uh, the first thing that popped into my mind was, you know, uh, God, you know, coming home to God. Uh, cause since I've been remarried, uh, faith has been a significant part of, of my life. Now, while in the military, uh, I felt more like a sojourner. So, uh, growing up, I didn't have much of a home. I moved just as many times as a kid as I did while I was in the military. So, Home is kind of almost that place where you just went to at the end of the day. So for me, uh, that takes on a more significant um, picture for me. You know, and home is a lot of different places. You know, home is Fort Drum. Home is uh, Arlington Cemetery where I serve. Home is, you know, Fort Drum, New York. Home is Fort Riley, Kansas. Home is here with my family. So there's, a you know, you've developed this family over time, and, and the home is almost like where my family's at. I haven't changed this question around, but you might have an interesting perspective on it. What have, or maybe what, uh, when you think of your kids thinking of coming home and having such a, and a lot of military families deal with this. My wife was, her parents both in the Air Force 20 years, that the memories get fractured and coming home almost becomes such a, a distant memory because each home was different. Do you think they, how, how do you think they would answer that question? Or maybe what would you have done or what have you done to help make sure they always feel like they're coming home, even though home keeps changing? Yeah, that's pretty interesting. My kids have probably only seen two changes. My daughter has only seen one home, but my, my two youngest boys have seen uh, two when we were in Virginia and now here. Home is usually where mom and dad's at, I think, in their minds. Since they're five and three, I don't think they have picked up on it. Um, there's grandma's house and then there's where we live out right now. And my five-year-old may have some fractured memories of Virginia and he once in a while says something about it, but he's so, so into everything else that's going on with school and friends and everything else that I don't really think that he's really developed that sense of home yet or understanding of what it is. Um, you know, for more like me, you know, before, uh, I got remarried, home was going to home to my parents' house. And then that kind of started to change over the years. And now home is, you know, like I said, just, just coming home to my family. You know, kind of like, a, I kind of said like a sojourner, but one of the other things that home kind of means to me, and I hope it's for my kids as well, is that it's a, it's a place to go and rest and reflect and, and just kind of recreate and, and kind of rebond with, you know, with my family. And that's why I mentioned all those other places because it's fun to go back to those places. They're just like home with me because that's where I lived at. You know, I was a part of the community. You know, I was an integral uh, piece of that and it was part of me and those organizations that we were, you know, members of. Those are homes to me and it's always fun to go back and kind of reconnect. So what it sounds like a little bit what you're saying is coming home also is making sure you have community to come home to as well. 
that I think a lot of probably military members don't spend time building roots in the communities that they get transferred to. And it's just the base. It's just the house on the base that they get issued. And it's just a matter of time until they move on to the next place. But I think it's important what you said that to build those roots. And even if the tree moves, making sure that there's at least good roots because memories and you can come home to a city that you haven't lived in 10 years. And that can still be like coming home. Like I lived in Okinawa for three years. And if I were to go back there, I would still consider it coming home because like I was almost homesick when I came home for good. Like that was where I called the home. I was just visiting home and that's, I was going back to my home way over on the other side of the world. Yeah, I would say so that, that as well. I mean, there's times where, I mean, I reminisce in memories and I'm just like, man, I really enjoyed my time there at Fort Drum, you know, or I really miss the people that I served with there. And, and a lot of them are still in that area. They retired there. They stayed there, you know, and I, I still have roots there. I have roots all over the country. And, that that's always been you know it's that you have that endearment you know that 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 place you you desire to 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 belong to and even in those communities i mean um you know those communities that you served in that you helped i mean because now part of military services community service we all our organizations uh, invest in the community whether it's a school you know or a community project or something we're always doing something to give back to the community to kind of build those relationships which i think we've gotten better with over the years and may not have so much prior to that it was just the military community was a subset of the community. And now it's, and then, you know, starting to, to blend together now. Were you always with the community mindset and joining local organizations or where did that action come from in your life? Did someone model it early on as a mentor? No, I wouldn't say so. This is something I probably stumbled upon. I want to say probably about five or 10 years. Um, 10 years, I went through some pretty significant, uh, emotional events in my lifetime. Um, I learned some information from when I was a child, uh, that really kind of hit me hard, um, going through a lot of those, those memories and, and unpacking some of the history of growing up in a fatherless home mm -hmm. and, um, something that had this burning desire in my heart to do something about it. And eventually, uh, I had found greater satisfaction and healing in serving the community um, than I did if I was to sit there and complain about my life and, you know, it sucks and these are the circumstances that have been handed to me. And I decided that enough was enough and I'm going to go out and do something about it and try and give back and, and help other young men who were let or, you know, in the same similar situation that may not have anybody. And so that was, that was significant for me. Um, and I, that's something that I found that, and I, I was actually shocked at the number of statistics, the number of divorced families in the United States. I knew it was about 50%, but when I started looking at the, the fatherless boys in homes, I realized that there was, wasn't enough help out there. I, and, I just read something. It was as high as like 37% of kids have a fatherless home. Yeah, father doesn't come home. Yeah, father doesn't come home that night, whether it be, you know, for one reason or the other. Um, and there's a lot of reasons why. It doesn't always have to be divorce. It could be, you know, when my grandfather was nine years old, his father passed away from heart attack. You know, it doesn't have to be, you know, tragedy or, well, that's kind of a tragedy. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't have to be something that, like, divorce. It doesn't have to be that. that. I think there's something in there that you're unpacking that a lot of veterans don't tap into is that a lot of self-healing happens when you start time traveling on your own version of yourself and finding people that are very similar to even five years ago of you and start helping them. Even with this podcast, that was like one thing that I realized that when I was trying to figure out what to do, the best person that you understand the most deepest is yourself and just time traveling back to a version of yourself that you wish there was a podcast like this for dads that helped them come home that's where my, my mission is. And similar for yours, you time traveled back to a spot where you were like, this is a gap in my life in the past and I can go back now and help fill it for others. It reminds me of even Chris Kyle, the movie and how he came home and what he struggled with and how he ser figured out how to serve the community around him. And is that was his way of healing, helping the people in the same way he was missing out on. And that's a huge step, I think, for overall just dads come home because we have to break that, that methodology that we're alone and going back and helping previous versions of yourself around you with, within your community can be so healing just to break that barrier that you're not alone. Cause that is one of the biggest barriers I think that prevents dads from coming home overall. And that's why, you know, that's why I like to volunteer for CASA 
is because those kids, they do feel alone, you know. Um, they've been taken out of a home, you know, that they know, and now they are in this strange place for the first time, and they don't know where their parents were at. And they need somebody to come in there that they can they can start to build a relationship with because this is not a short process. This could be anywhere between a month and three or four years. They could be going through the system. And the only thing that's consistent in your life is that volunteer that shows up, you know, and spends anywhere from five to 10 hours a month with, you know, and that's the most consistency they have. Um, and so, you know, that, that you, like you said, that, that, that piece that where they, they feel alone, I mean, that's, you, you don't know yourself better than anybody else. Yeah, uh, or you know yourself, that you know the most. And yeah, yeah, you're the person that knows yourself the best. And when you think about your strengths, your experiences, your weaknesses, that's where I found kind of my purpose in life and where I thought that I could contribute the most because I knew what it felt like and I could walk into that home and be on almost the same level ground as them. I mean, yeah, every experience is a little different, every situation, but at least you have a common ground now that you can uh, work alongside. And a lot of the, the older boys that are probably like 12 years or older, uh, they're the ones that don't have as many volunteers as willing to work with them. Um, just because, you know, they're a little bit older, uh, sometimes they're a little more challenging. And and they a lot of volunteers may not have that same experience as that boy has had. And so that's where I feel like my experience is, is, is significant is because I can come in there and, and kind of relate to what they're going through. And I understand the, the amount of patience it takes for one of those kids to open up and kind of start to talk about and digest. And sometimes you just got to be there. You just got to be present. And you walking those shoes, you can probably even help them label their emotions, which is probably something they super struggle with because when you have that much pressure on your feelings, you probably can't even really understand what they are. So you've been there and you're older now, so you can help be like, this is what you're feeling. This is what we can call it. Then once we, once you feel this way, this is how you can help walk through that. I really love what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I would say that I was a confused child <laughs> growing up and not understanding what's going on. And you know, the thoughts that I was telling myself and the things that I was hearing from other the pain people, you were probably going through. Yeah. It was just, it was, you know, and it's a significant time in your life when you're a teenager and you're going through these things and you just don't quite understand, you know, why the world's handed you this, this, you know, plate that now you have to eat off of. And, uh, you know, it's it actually turned, you know, I would say probably turned into a blessing for me. So it's amazing how the, some of the best stories later in life are the ones who the fire was, their iron was forged in the deepest of fires and pits of yeah. strength. And there's a, it's hard when it's, when life's happening, but those are the stories that are often propelling people to the, the greatest sites, even something like Oprah Winfrey, her story of her starting yeah. is one of the complete opposite of her life now today. Yeah, it's amazing. So what are some simple ways either through uh, the kids at CASA or your own kids that you connect with them? We believe that kids spell love T-I-M-E and it's the simple things that uh, are going to connect with you or the kids are going to connect with. And it's always the opposite generally of what we think they want. And we often overcomplicate as dads. So what do you do that your kids remember 10 years later that was like, really, that's what you remember? Yeah. Well, you know, because your kids aren't, your kids are still pretty young. Yeah. You know, and I was just asking somebody about this the other day, uh, you know, I and one of the things I do is when I sit down with people I work with, I say, okay, what it was the one thing, you know, that I did extremely well. And, and I think it's something that I've worked on a lot and it's pre just being present, you know, just having presence. And then whether that be you self-aware in the moment to realize that somebody's struggling, they need some help or a kind word or a little bit of motivation, your, your kids can do a lot of things on their own. Um, and we can, we can kind of hover over them sometimes because, you know, I mean, uh, I love my kids a lot too. And sometimes there's moments where I'm like, no, nah, I want to kind of shelter you from that a little bit, you know, because I care about you so much that I know what's going to happen. Um, but sometimes you got to let them trip and fall. Um, yeah. You got to be able to be there to pick them back up. But it's a, it's just a presence. And, you know, whether it's, you know, they need that, you just to cuddle on the couch with them and watch some cartoons that morning, you know, or, you know, or recognize that, hey, they just need a little bit of push in one direction. Uh, I just hope that one day, you know, if I'm not sitting at the kitchen table, that they'll still feel my presence there um, because I've been there enough times in the moments where they needed me rather than 
you know, the, the times where they didn't need me as much. Why do you think veterans struggle to be present with their kids? Because I've heard from a lot of uh, listeners that have reached out that said they feel these boundaries, either from PTSD or just their service, that there's just these these mental blocks that they can't get by. Yeah, I had that for a long time. Um, you know, I remember when my first deployment, I completely shut down. I mean, as soon as I walked out the door and jumped on the plane, I was like, I just shut it all off. You know, I was like, and I didn't hardly want to call home because it was just, it was a struggle for me and I just didn't want the distraction or the pain. Um, it's probably the wrong way to do it. Uh, and then when I came home, it was really tough to reconnect because uh, I missed a lot of those things. Um, I was so focused on the mission and what I needed to do for work. I pretty much put everything else on the back burner. Um, you know, you miss a couple birthdays, anniversaries, things like that, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, you come home and everything's different. Uh, I did that. I would say probably the thing that's probably changed for me the most um, is just this couple significant losses in life for me. And I've realized that how important life is and I just can't shut myself off to everybody. Um, I read a really good book by Dr. Henry Cloud called The One Life Solution, and he talks about boundaries. Um, he talks about more so creating boundaries with people um, that that will kind of get the bad part of you going, and then there's a, a group of people that will kind of support you and love you and you know do the things that you need to kind of help you move forward, and you got to kind of have to play that balance. Um, and I think you have to think about those things is who's there, um, who's going to be present for you, who's going to be there when you need somebody, um, who's been there for you the whole time rather than, you know, in your glorious moments, uh, you have to keep those people closer and, and some of the other ones a little bit further away. But I think it's those emotional boundaries that we keep in our head. And I think sometimes while us in the military, we do it. Um, we do it to protect ourselves. Um, I just think we have to have that uh, awareness that there's other people out there that, that need us, you know, in that moment. And it's sometimes, you know, you got to have your time, but then there's, you got to have that time with them. And, and, and it's, it's a struggle because your kids need you now. It's, and that's, that's the struggle, you know, and it's like, you may not be having a great day, but, for some reason, you know, it's especially with my wife, you know, there's moments where she's struggling with the kids and she needs me now, you know, and I'm mm -hmm. like, well, I'm kind of doing this right now, you know, and, but yeah. I have to kind of stop what I'm doing and recognize the fact that she's in a struggle and I need to step up and do what she needs me to do so she can kind of collect herself or do what she needs to do. And so she can come back and be the best mom that she can be because we all get to those moments. Yep. Have you lost a close friend to suicide in your service? Uh, yeah, I actually have. Uh, I've, read, I've lost a family member, uh, and uh, I've actually quite a few people I've known over the years. Um, it's 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 so much so much affected me that I actually work and run for an organization um, called Twenty Two and More. Um, basically what we do is is we memorialize or you know keep the memory of a soldier that was lost to PTSD um, due to you know uh, they're, they're by their own hand and uh, we just wear a, a picture of them you know in memory of so-and-so and, -so. and uh, the last one I did was uh, Claude CJ Davis jr. out of Springfield Missouri here um, his cousin was also a marine and was lost to suicide uh, a year prior to and so that family was struck pretty hard. What I'll do is I'll strap the picture, um, read the story about the family and, and, and the soldier or the Marine or airman or whoever, and uh, I'll go out and I'll run uh, in a race or something. And a lot of people in the community, it's amazing. They'll just come by and say, thank you. You know, thank you for running for, you know, CJ or thank you for running for this person. Uh, and then sometimes you'll get somebody that'll run up next to you and they'll just want to know the story. They just want to hear about it. And uh, it's, 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 it's been healing for me, you know, to go through that process, to kind of to do that and to help this organization out. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been – it's kind of helped me get through those, those moments of where I don't quite understand 
but you know, I've also kind of been there myself where I've had those dark moments in life where, you know, it's been a challenge and a struggle to get through, you know, you think the world's coming down on top of you and you have no hope and yeah. uh, lost. And so I can kind of help, you know, bring light to what's going on out there. And I, I think it's extremely important that, you know, we kind of do things like this to let people know that it's not an easy job and there are people out there that are still struggling. Yep. I was trying to think of the Disney movie name, but there was a Disney movie that came out last fall with uh, Day of the Dead, Mexico. I can't think of mm-hmm. it. Yeah, Coco. Uh, Coco, yeah. And it reminded me that as long as someone remembers your story, you'll always continue to live. Yeah, there's a good movie I watched recently, um, and one of the lines in the story of um, when she was telling her son, uh, you were the story of my life. And so, and that's kind of one of the things I think is important. Um, and I think we'll get to a little bit later as the legacy is like, I think you should tell your story to your kids, you know, because that's important. That helps out with their identity and their understanding of what you went through. Uh, and they need to understand that. They need to know that, you know, the, the sacrifices that you've made and they need to be able to communicate that. And I think that's what I've been grateful for in my family is that my family's continued to tell the legacy and the stories of our ancestors. And, and I've heard these stories and I thought they were heroes as I was growing up. Mm-hmm. And my grandfather was always telling me stories. My, um, his, his brothers and sisters would tell me stories. And I was just, just mesmerized with, with just the, the way they came across the ocean as immigrants in the pre-colonial days and they fought the American Indian war. And, you know, just all these different things that have happened over the course of the time. And it's just, they, were heroes to me so that's why i think you know um as long as somebody keeps your legacy alive and talks about you uh you're still there with it let's dive into that question what do you want your family's legacy to be what do you want people to talk about the ingles and describe them after you're well and gone yeah that's a that's a good question i i want my i I would like people to understand that or well recognize my family as is um patriotic family that really wanted to do more than just, you know, survive, but to serve. Um, and that my kids appreciate, you know, the service of others. And I, I think that's probably the most important. Um, they, they were, you know, they, they strive to be, you know, a good Christian home. Um, not, we're not perfect. Um, but, you know, we, we put our best foot or foot forward and then we grew together. So one of the things I went to this workshop one time and one of the things we did was, we created a family vision and, and, you know, you do things that are in the home to kind of remind you of this family vision that you have, where you want to go. And one of the things we did was we created a tree um, and at the bottom it says Ingalls family. Um, and it says to grow together and, you know, each one of the kids put their thumbprints on it and, you know, and it's just a constant growing family, but we're going to grow together where roots are deep and we're, you know, strong and it's like an oak tree. And so it's that kind of symbology um, that I kind of hope that people remember my family by. And, it, and it's going to go for generations to generation to generation. So it's one of the things I think is challenging in American business today. Um, we have these, and this is kind of where I get this idea at, as well. You know, four generations ago, somebody started a business. Well, it was handed down to each generation. However, the fourth or fifth generation starts to lose the identity of the vision. And because no longer is being passed through. Um, we get so far away from the initial vision or the initial reason why we're doing this. And, and I think that's the, one of the things the kids are asking a lot today about is why, why are we doing this? Why do we do this? Why have we been doing this? Why I find it funny that of like every person who's ever had kids goes through the why stage of like between three and four. And, and at some point parents have, and even myself, I've, probably continue to ask why well beyond being stubborn uh but a lot of it is like kids have this inquisitive why and somehow as parents a lot of society has told them don't ask why like we eventually just get them to the point where they don't but that innate curiosity to challenge to ask why is what what you're talking about and as a dad that is something i'm always embracing with my kids because my my son will ask like uh how does the window work? And instead of like telling them, don't worry about it, I'll give him the full explanation. Like I continue to just answer whatever questions he has, explain to him because I never want his, his inquisitiveness to stop. And 
I think can combine with a legacy. I think that's, I mean, creativity is the toolbox of your legacy. It's how creative can you be really? How far can you see into the future? And if you start to stifle that creativity, then you can't see in the future. Yeah. I think that's a, one of the things I, I probably heard a lot when I was growing up was stop asking why, or, you know, leave, leave me alone, you know? And it's like, okay, don't worry yeah, about it. I'm going to do You're stifling creativity. And, uh, I catch myself saying it to my kids sometimes too. Um, but in an aspect of, you know, don't worry about it. I got it. I'll take care of it. You know, you know, I don't, necessarily always have time to help them work through those problems and that goes back to being present is recognize like hey there's a problem here we need to work through this and i need to show them how to or at least coach them or guide them through that process rather than then you know i'll take care of it there you know don't worry about it or you know i'll, I'll deal with it you know and then we kind of just kind of brush it off rather than teaching them life skills you know, how to do that social interaction, you know, how to, how to resolve a fight or a complaint instead of just separating the two and saying, okay, well, you go to your, no, let's figure this out. Why is this happening? You know? Yeah. This conversation of legacy we've been having, as I've been doing these interviews, I've been trying to, to pick the right nut to crack either through what to do next, where to go with the podcast. And I think this conversation, there was a conversation I had with a listener just this past week. And he was talking about one thing he likes about the podcast is I'm always looking to the future. The conversation, the questions are always future facing. Didn't really design it that way. It just happened. Yeah. Maybe it did unsubconsciously, but never consciously. And part of the transition in those boundaries, and maybe this is why like we, we, we spend almost all day trying to make sense of the past and our service and that legacy of our service, trying to figure out, was it something we can be honored? Was it honorable? Was it, did we do everything right? Why did we lose those guys way back then? Why did our friends have to die? And we never transitioned to a forward-facing legacy, which is our family, mm -hmm. or even just any forward-facing legacy. Like, really, like, there was something I've, I've had this idea that our legacy is, is, is our, our service is our service, that's it. Yeah. Once it's over, it's done. But the legacy yeah. that is continuing to grow into a that you plant seeds in a garden you never get to see grow is your family. And I think, which also allows you to realize that the presence is where that legacy is planted. Like the things you do every single day, you're planting a thousand seeds a year in a garden that you actually have no idea which ones are going to be the weeds and which ones are going to be the flowers and where they're going to grow. And that transition maybe is something that we need to talk more about in the podcast because I think that mental switch towards the future forward facing legacy could be something that really helps dads make that transition to find purpose again, which is what most of us are lacking because we lost that purpose when we transitioned. Yeah. You know, the, uh, thinking about forward facing. So that was one of the things that I thought about a long time ago. So I wasn't always going to stay around for this long. Uh, there's probably a couple of times in my career where I thought I was going to get out. And then I started thinking about what I wanted to do with life, you know, what I wanted to do because I didn't want to do what I'm still doing now and what kind of legacy that I would have. Because uh, there's a guy, um, I'm trying to think of his name off the top of my head. Um, I got right here. Um, well, it doesn't say on there. Um, but he ran the event. It's called Family ID. Greg Gunn is his name, actually. And he started talking about this thing, Vision. And it really, I really didn't think about vision as much until I met this guy and went to this family workshop. And basically, it, it, it's for families. And you sit down and you create, you know, this vision, this mission, you know, and um, purpose. And you, you come up with family values. And I was like, okay. And he always talked about legacy. And, and so it, it kind of just captured me because, you know, he kind of got it. It's not this boring corporate vision you see on some wall. This is about your yeah. family, you know, and this is creating families rather they're just kind of, you know, lukewarm. This is creating nuclear families. Families are on fire and then are getting after it and getting things done every day. And it's going to be whatever you want it to be, but this is the legacy that you're going to pass down and it's going to live generation after generation after generation. So when you're gone and if you were to come back four or five generations later, you would still see those values and those things that you instill in your family continuing to thrive through yeah. because your family continues to pass it through. And so that's what I kind of think of forward facing. And so, like I said, I started thinking about that 
um, 10 years ago. And uh, when I first started thinking about getting out of the military, well, the second time probably. Um, but I was like, how was I going to, because I always heard this thing, veterans have a hard time connecting out in the community, you know, because the lifestyle change, you know, the, the, the sense of purpose, you know, the, the, the bigger, the bigger mission that they were doing, you know, it's, it's on a smaller level now. I don't think mm-hmm. necessarily think that has to happen. Um, there's a lot of great organizations that I participate in, like RWB, um, uh, Blue Star Families, which I worked with off on, you know, when they did their caregiver coaching, the Rosalind Carter Institute for Caregivers, which uh, works with uh, spouses of veterans uh, that are dealing with either traumatic injuries or PTSD and trying to get back to some kind of normalcy in life, you know, because they're spending, you know, left their happen to where they actually have to help care for the veteran uh, because there's certain things they can't do for themselves. And so I did a lot of coaching through that organization and helping spouses. And so it's just getting back into, you know, finding that, that niche that, you know, you have your strengths and finding to be, you know, continue being part of that community. Um, you know, I love to run. So, I mean, I've, there's just so many different organizations that I've found that I could be a part of like the 22 and more, you know, with suicide. I love to run. So I participate in Team RWB. I do 22 and more. And, you know, it's two for one. You know, I'm trying to do, you know, trying to help both organizations at the same time with just one event, you know, and I get to connect with veterans. I get to talk to people. I get to tell stories about veterans. I keep keep the, you know, this heroism, right, that these – because not everybody can join the military, you know, and there's a very small percentage of people that are actually in, the, in America that are part of that community, and I think it's a very special community. and we have to tell our story and kind of goes back to what we're talking about with Coco in the movie, you know, you have to continue to tell the story. Uh, And as I think the more you tell it, the more people begin to understand it and figure it out. And I think it becomes easier for us because now you have that broader sense of purpose now. Uh, And you can kind of expand on that as much as you want or as little as you want. You know, you can do that in your local community or you can kind of do it on a more national level if you want or a state level. I love all of that. And that there's nothing to really add to it. It's a perfect way you said it. <laughs> what advice would you give to a dad looking to come home to his marriage? Show up. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, I'm a, it's kind of like, I think that's my word for 2019 is presence um, for whatever reason. I, Cause I keep repeating it. That's uh, why they call it a gift. Yeah. It's, it's just being considerate. You know, I, I'd say my first marriage, it really wasn't as considered. I made a lot of mistakes. I just thought it was something that you did, you, you know, because my bad experiences, I watched my mother divorce three times in my first 18 years of life, you know. Um, and so I didn't really quite understand it. And I had not the greatest examples of step-parents. And so knowing how to treat my wife and how to um, express my expectations, uh, wasn't there. And I think after going through the first divorce and then kind of doing some professional development and working on me and trying to figure out who I was and what I wanted to do um, and what kind of dad I wanted to be, what kind of man I wanted to be. Um, And then I just started figuring, you know, once I met my wife and we got together, we sat down and we spent a lot of time talking about major issues. And it's just being able to have that conversation with her and communicate and understanding what her expectations of me are, which I don't always meet all the time. And that's okay. Cause she's not always going to meet mine. At you least they're verbalized. That's the most important. Right. Yeah, at least fine. know what you're missing. Yeah. I, the listen to ones that kill you. <laughs> I listened to the speaker one time and he was telling me, uh, or not telling me, but a group of us, he's like, look, you have this box of expectations that you have that you grew up with. And this is what you learned as expectations. And your wife has this box of expectations you grew up in two different households. You cannot give your box to somebody else because it belongs to you. And so he goes, stop trying to give your box to somebody else. He goes, those are your expectations. You need to have mutual expectations. You guys need to unpack your box and take some of those expectations out because you have to have a box that you have to develop together. And so he's like, just drop, you know, basically stop putting your expectations on everybody. You know, because she has a whole different set of expectations. And, you know, it's a little interesting for me because my wife, you know, she, uh, her dad went to Korea and met uh, her mom. And so her mom's Korean and her dad's American. And so when I came to picture, you know, I'm this, you know, uh, 
American soldier that grew up on a farm that has all these different expectations because I grew up in South Central Illinois and it's completely different than her expectations. And so we start to clash in the beginning, you know, because even what the expectations of my in-laws are different. And so we've had many, many clashes, but we've just had to persist through them and work through those pain points and try and get beyond that. Where in South Central Illinois did you grow up at? Uh, I grew up in Hillsborough, Illinois, which is uh, about an hour north of St. Louis and an hour south of Springfield. Uh, I, my mother-in-law lives uh, about 30 minutes east of Bloomington, so I wasn't sure where at the area. Oh, yeah. Because Illinois is big, so like South yeah. Central could be like almost half the bottom. <laughs> right, right, right. So, yeah, that's that's not too far away. I know where Bloomington is at. But, yeah, so it's just working through conflict. It's conflict resolution. Uh, and I think – when we experience conflict today and you can kind of see it uh, throughout the nation, even the world, um, that seems to be it, you know, people explode, you know, there's this, this, extreme, you know, we'll go to one extreme or the other. Um, but I think the thing we failed to do is to sit down and have a conversation about why we're having conflict and try to, you know, I'm going to go back to one of my favorite authors is Stephen Covey. He says, first seek to understand before you can be understood. Because it's really hard to formulate an argument if you don't understand the other side's perspective. So, yeah. and George, I heard George Bush give that advice when he was dealing with Iran. He's like, you can't come to the negotiating table unless you know why the other person's there. Yeah, you're right. And I've repeated that often time in my head through lots of places in life because it's true. It's you, you, you can't meet someone in the middle if you don't know where they're coming from. Yeah, you're going to be in the middle, but you're going to be a mile apart in different axes in the different planes. I'm giving that advice a lot, and sometimes I have to remind myself to, uh, you know, apply it to my own situation. On the podcast, we've talked about a lot that coming home from a deployment, you have to meet your family where they are. Is mm -hmm. there a question that you've used often to kind of, as a probing question, to understand from your kid's perspective or maybe your wife's of just approaching with curiosity that's been effective? I would say probably the one thing I've always asked is what do you expect of me? I mean, just throwing it right out there. I mean, is what is your expectation? And sometimes I like what I hear and sometimes it's not as, 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 you know, as good as I would like to hope, you know, is that because you may not be as needed as you want to be immediately? Well, I don't know if it's not as needed It's probably not what I expected to hear, you know, so you have to expect to hear the unexpected. Um, and we're almost spoiled with all the welcome homes these days because yeah. you have the best parade and often there's very little parade in a family for you to coming home other than the, the first maybe 10 minutes when that tension breaks after those hugs that yeah. it's down to real life now again. Oh yeah. You know, and sometimes you have to understand too, um, uh, that you may not be doing as good of a job as you thought you were, you know, or things may not be as good as you expected them to be or you you imagine them to be i mean i know we've had those conversations before where i'm like i thought everything was going good and they're like no it's not and i'm like well this is the story i've been telling myself so <laughs> so that's where the communication comes into is, is what are your expectations how do you feel about things you know where are we at you know um it's always good to sit down and have those conversations from time to time just so you can do that you know it's almost like it, you know you're just taking a temperature and seeing where things are going you know, because we do kind of get complacent. Now. I know I do. I find that a lot. You know, I get busy and get going, and I'm so driven and focused that, you know, I don't mission see focused is like yeah. the, left and right. So we still get so mission task focused that we forget the, that life isn't always a to do list. So I need somebody to jerk my chain once in a while. My wife's good, you know, reeling me back in. Good. What resource or a book would you recommend to other military veteran dads and why? Um, well, you know, I was thinking about that. And, you know, one of the ones that I thought was um, really good uh, that I read about a year ago was Kingdom Man by um, Tony Evans. Uh, and he talks about, I think it's really good for military dads. Uh, it comes from a Christian perspective, but uh, he talks about uh, in the book becoming your own uh, man and inside your kingdom, you know, and, and the kingdom is your family and the things that you control and do. But he also talks about, he, he had used this analogy, um, 
of a sports jersey, like a lot of men live through sports, you know, because we wear the jerseys, the team hat and everything else. He's like, well, what is your identity as a family man? You know, and that's kind of where he's getting at. He's like, why, you know, and he uses the analogy or the, the imagery. Um, it's like, okay, well, if you're wearing another man's jersey, where's yours? And, and so what he's saying is, is that you have to develop your own sense of identity and who you and your family are going to be um, and how you're going to, you know, I guess, rule the kingdom. Um, that is your family and, and be present and influence them to make the right decisions uh, because that's what we all want at the end. They want to influence our kids to do the best that they can do um, and kind of walk that, I guess, straight and narrow path because there's a lot of things that they can get involved in or, or get into today that can lead to trouble. Um, trouble's out there everywhere now. Uh, I know and, we hit I just hit a nerve there because many episodes that we've talked about that uh, veterans go from Superman to Clark Kent and we never created an identity other than what the uniform gave us. Right. Right. And we and go to Clark Kent and we don't even have an identity. And now we got to figure out how to provide. We got to be a man. We got to do all this stuff. So creating that identity of yourself before you, do anything else, um, especially in marriage. I feel I've even been guilty of it where looking for marriage to fill gaps in my life that marriage was never meant to fill and that you've got to have an identity to understand where those gaps are. And you've got to do your own audit on yourself to figure out. I, I find ego is the best detective of this because usually our ego is a protecting, protective mechanism for we don't want people to really know about us. And I think this goes even deeper than just um, – identity but what kind of leader do you want you to be for your family so and that I, goes I into be, legacy as well they it all it's all right. one flowing uh, thought that and that might be that might be even a better word than to use than uh, identity because uh i just lost my train of thought there for a second um because yeah i lost it <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i think you know being being a leader to your family is probably the thing that we all want to do. Um, I remember where it was at now. Um, because I'm the, I've been in the military long enough to where I've been a lot of great leaders. But then I've also known those people that have that um, authority be based off of what the uniform they wear or the, or the rank or the grade that they have or the position they're even in sometimes. And sometimes I think as parents, we can exercise authority rather than be exercising leadership. So a lot of the same leadership principles that we learn in our organizations and in our, you know, military history, uh, we can apply to our families. It's not all just authoritative. It's the coaching, the leading, the mentoring, the setting by example, you know, the keeping the family informed of what's going on. You know, it's all those different things that when you apply them, it makes you a great leader, not only as a husband, but as a father. The uh, There's been something in business that I've been, learning over the last year called heart-centered leadership. And it's based on the same idea of focusing on the people, but then also being the authoritative, being the leader. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was just talking to an expert uh, yesterday, or no, Friday, who's coming out on a bonus episode on Thursday. And she was talking like, as a role as a parent, we need to be authoritative, but we also need to be very heart-centered, that we need to be that touching, loving person. And we can be both of those. And both of those is really where parenting succeeds and you can see the balance come through in your kids. And it's really when those two get off balance, you either go all authoritative and you don't end up connecting with your kids or you connect with your kids as your best friend, but then you actually have no respect and they just walk all over you. Yeah. I think that's probably what my experience was, you know, as we talk about it. I mean, I think as I was growing up, I think I seen a lot of authoritative, um, leadership style and it was just, I'm the parent and you're going to do what I'm telling you to do. And that's it. I mean, in, you know, that's the end of it. And it didn't really quite sit well with me. Um, which is what you don't teach them why they don't really know how to do it on their own either. Like when they get out there in the world on their own, like they're going to wait for someone to tell them because they never understood why they had to do something. And I think that's why I, I really enjoy being a parent because each one of my four children are different and I have to lead in a different way with all four of them. Uh, not each one is going to react the same way, you know, and depending on the circumstances. So I'm still learning too after four of them. So it, it's, it's been, it's, it's been interesting and I love it. I mean, it's just, it's, it's been a growing process for me. What is a parting piece of advice you want to leave for military veteran dads? 
maybe a friend that, that you'd want to leave a message for that if he's listening or just in general, what's the piece of advice that to bring dad home? Um, I think the, the biggest piece of advice that I could probably live or leave for, for military families and dads out there uh, or veteran dads is that come up with your own vision. You know, what is it that you want for your family? Uh, because if you don't know where your family is going, it's kind of hard to get there. And so you have to have that destination in mind is what does the family look like at the end of the day? Uh, you know, whether it be 20, 30, 40 years down the road or just five or 10 years down the road, it can be as long or as short as you want it to be. Just decide where you want to be at and what you want that picture to look like. And then you can get everybody going in the same direction, you know, rather than the opposite directions. Cause that's kind of how we do it, you know, today in, in this society that we're in is we're all going different directions. But if you can get everybody moving towards the same vision and get everybody to buy in, I think you'll create what I mentioned earlier is that, that nuclear family um, that's on fire. Um, and I think it'll be an experience that uh, you won't regret. Do you have a family vision board? Actually, I, I do. So I've heard, I haven't done that, but maybe this episode will inspire uh, to really just clip magazine pictures out, do all the different things to make a board of where we want to be to remind ourselves why, going back to why, why we're doing what we're doing so that way the daily steps lead up to the investment we want from tomorrow. And, it, you know, I know it sounds silly and a lot of people think, it, you know, it, it, it probably is, you know, or it doesn't seem like the manly thing to do sometimes, but I use it. Um, I have, you know, um, Pictures of vacations we want to take, places we want to live, uh, you know, uh, a house that we would like to buy one day. You know, I mean, it's just different things like that that keep us kind of focused on, you know, what we want to do. Sometimes there's quotes up there, you know, and it changes. So this is not something that you just do one time at least. It should be a living document or a board, you know, and it continuously evolves, you know, because eventually the kids are going to grow up and they're going to move out. And they're going to go to college or they're going to do something else. Or they're going to get married and, yeah, yes, then you're just going to have a retirement board where you want to do it your kids. Yeah. Live. So they're still part of that vision, but you know, what, what happens when there's grandkids involved, you know, what kind of vision do you have for that? You know, do your kids know what your expectation is as far as your role and involvement with their lives are, you know, it's just, as you start to develop this vision, you know, it's going to continue to evolve and grow over time. I mean, you know, ours wasn't perfect. We probably changed it 10 different times and the outcome looked different every time, but it was something that we were always working towards. So, I love I that. And there's a lot of there's a lot of psychology out there that points to your brain even just seeing what you want, it will automatically start subconsciously without you even realizing it, making those small course corrections to get there. And if you don't have that on, society is designed to be on auto repeat and continue to do the same routine. So you need those things to interrupt that drift to get back on course where you want to be, even if, whether it's a difference between ordering $100 stuff on Amazon or looking at your board and be like, oh, we really want to go to, to Walt Disney World. And not having that thought yeah. is going to make you spend $100 on Amazon. And then you wonder, well, why didn't we go to Walt Disney? Oh, because I wasn't constantly having that subconsciously put in my brain. And it's like the secret movie that whatever you conceptually remind yourself of daily will happen. I, I've always liked the story of Jim Carrey that before he became famous, it was like 1991. He wrote himself a million dollar check and dated it 10 years in the future. And that was his reminder to conceptually move towards life where he could cash a million dollar check 10 years from then. And it worked like he's, yeah. it's, he's got a lot of good stuff out there from his story of where he came from and what he did to get where he's at. And it's easy to think that he's funny and how he's got there, but he had to do the hard work like everybody else just to get there as well. And to get there. Yeah, I think uh, Brian Tracy, uh, maybe John Maxwell, and a couple other um, motivational speakers and things like that that have I've listened to over the time. I think they've all like they've all bought into the I'm going to write my goals or my priorities for the day on a three by five card and they carry it around with them all day. So they're constantly using that as almost like a guardrail, you know, almost like yeah. the bumpers in a bowling alley. That you I was thinking the same thing. So, so it just keeps you on track all day long, you know. I mean, you're going to veer to the left and veer to the right, you know, and things are going to come up and they're going to try and drag you away from what you're supposed to or you're intended to be doing. It's just it's what can you set in place to remind you that, okay, hey, uh, you know, and I, I would go back to um, Stephen Covey is, you know, uh, say no. 
you know, if this is not on my list of priorities, then it's an easy no, you know. And if you do say yes, make sure that you know what the hell you're saying no for. Right. So I think those are some of the key, you know, concepts and principles that continue to be handed down over time, you know, and I think that we continue to latch on to. But I think the vision board is an incredible piece that, uh, you know, the kids can see it, you know, it's like three and five year olds. I mean, you can get them involved. I mean, you can sit them at the table and say, okay, cut some things out that you like in a magazine and they can cut it out. And then you can start to like key in on certain things that your kids are, you know, attracted to or will like, you know, um, he actually just inspired me. I might get like some, uh, just some state travel magazines for the summer and just let them go town with the scissors and see what comes out. And, you know, I mean, it may be just, you know, a teeter-totter or something, and you're like, well, okay, well, we can go find one here in the local area and let the kids go play on a teeter-totter for, like, 30 minutes on an afternoon. You know, I mean, it could just be, like, really simple stuff. You know, um, half my kids' Christmas list probably comes from doing stuff like that because now I know instead of me trying to ask them and then them going, um, you know, I want this. Or we just answered ourselves and then waste a bunch of money that didn't actually matter and then the toy gets played with for 10 minutes and then sits go at it themselves, you know. But to get them to buy in, like, my son probably doesn't know anything about values right now. I mean, he probably knows the things that I'm teaching him right now, but if I would say, okay, these are our five family values, okay, now cut me out some pictures, that's a little bit too advanced for him at this point in time as for a five-year-old or even a three-year-old. But can they see things that they appreciate, you know, and they love and they care about? And, yeah, and we can kind of incorporate some of that so now that they have buy Because yeah. it's not about us as the parents. It's the entire family has to buy it. And that kind of getting away from the uh, – yeah, authoritative family figures and having, like I said, that that nucleus where you know everybody's functioning as a as one unit rather than eight individual units or five individual units or however big your family might be. Well, just in that last five minutes, I think I, I blew myself away with our conversation <laughs> and what we, what we should do. So over the last uh, the, the last hour we've been talking. I know we bought, brought some mini dads home with this one. I know this episode is going to crush it. Where can people find you if they want to connect with you, Kirby? Where's the best social media platform? Yeah, so you can either go to the website, which is www.kirbyingles.com, which is really simple, or you can um, type in Kirby Scott Ingles on Facebook um, or even Twitter, and you'll find me there in the search bar. And I'll include those links in our show notes for any okay. listeners that want to quickly, quickly find them. Well, Kirby, I really appreciate you coming on the show, and I'm really glad we got to tell your story. As we were pre-talking before the show, I was like, this is going to be something special that I didn't really know about when I invited you on. So I'm even more happy that I I just uh, put out the random invite in the universe and we connected. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. That's a wrap. And thank you for listening to today's show, and I really hope you enjoyed it. The lifeblood of any new podcast are the reviews. If you haven't reviewed the podcast yet on iTunes, I would really appreciate it, and you will help us get the message out to even more military veteran dads. As John Maxwell says, if there is hope in the future, there is power in the present. Dads, it's time to come home.